Good morning, family. How you doing this morning? This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Danelle. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Grace Covenant, and I have the privilege of sharing the word with you today. I'm going to be your waitress, so hopefully I do you well, service-wise. Um, we want to pray for our pastor, um, our senior pastor, and our executive pastor. They're actually traveling, ministering at um, some of our Every Nation churches, which is the greater body of churches that we belong to. So can we just bow our head a moment, and let's lift up our senior leaders. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for Pastor Brett and Pastor Jim. Lord, we pray for their ministry today, that they would find you in a special way. Lord, that you would fill their mouths with the words to say, just scripted and precision for each and every congregation. We pray over their health, their travel, all that's concerning them, that you would guard, protect, and keep them. May they be refreshed on their way here, God, and find um, all of the things that they left well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Well, our pastor is going to start a series called Grace, and I get the privilege to start that today, kick it off. I call it the preheat. So by the time he gets back prayerfully, we'll know a little bit more about grace. So turn in your Bibles for me for Titus 2, Titus 2, and we're going to be coming from verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And the title of the sermon, if you're taking notes, is Cross-Training with Grace. Titus 2, 11 through 14 reads, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today that transforms us, that gives us life, and more importantly, teaches us who you are. Father, we pray that you would touch our hearts today. May we know how this word applies to us both individually as well as corporately, that we can live this out in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we talk about grace, the first thing I'd like to do is introduce you to grace. What is grace? We might hear that in church. We might, you know, the amazing grace, how sweet the sound. A lot of us have heard that hymn as we were growing up. But what truly is grace? I heard an acronym that I believe really it just encompasses the heart of it, and it's God's righteousness at Christ's expense. And what I love about that, it moves us out the way. We had nothing to do. We can't earn it, can't work for it, can't even try to, to, to go get it somewhere. It is a gift of God. The scripture says that no one can boast. And what grace does is it brings God's righteousness to us through Christ Jesus. And when we accept him as savior, grace is ours. The righteousness of Christ is ours. Second Corinthians 5.21 reads, For he made him who knew no sin, he being Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
So what does this mean? It means the moment you receive Christ as Savior, you become and you receive through grace the righteousness of Christ. Well, what is righteousness? In the original text, it means the doctrine concerning the way in which a man may attain a state of approval in God. It's integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. So what is it? God put us in right standing with him. That's why you can't buy grace. It's God who did this in himself through his son. So there's no way we could ever earn it or work for it. It is a gift from God. So as we look at this grace and what it brings with it, it brings two things, the scripture says, salvation and training. The salvation part of it is that we are now eternally linked with our father that we're no longer separated. So when we receive Christ as Savior, when we receive what he's done for us, we're no longer separated. When we get to eternity, we get to live with him forever. So we are delivered. Now the trick of the enemy is he'll try to make you think you need to get delivered. Have you ever heard, I'll get with God when I get everything right? Well, guess what? You're never going to get everything right because it's through grace. And so God says, come as you are. Now, we all know you're not going to stay as you are, but we all get to come as we are. Because God wants us to recognize what he did for us versus what we can do for him. As I was uh, thinking about this, I thought about, um, I'm trying to get all these recipes. I'm really not a cook. My husband's the chef of the home. But my grandmother left me recipes and just have recipes floating around. And I thought about the recipes that God does for each and every one of us. Each one of us sitting here is our own recipe. We all have our own fingerprint. None of us are identical. Similar, not same. We all have our same fingerprint. Well, my grandson decided to really up the game on my recipe and decided to take a crayon and write in this recipe. And as I was looking at it, I was chuckling, thinking, okay, one, I don't know what in the world he wrote. And two, he obviously thought something else needed to be added to this recipe. And as I was sitting there thinking, that's exactly what the enemy tries to do to us. God has already wrote the recipe of who you are and what he's called you to do. And then the enemy takes a crayon and begins to try to write something else that's not scripted, that's not God. And in my maturity, I knew, one, this is crayon, and two, I know who did this. (laughs) He's the only one writing a crayon in the house right now. (laughs) Can you identify when the enemy tries to write something in your recipe that's not of God? And when God seals us, when we get saved, he said, okay, now tell you what, I'm going to seal you through the Holy Spirit. You are now sealed. You are mine. You are the righteousness of Christ. So if we're this recipe inside the envelope, The moment I seal it, you can no longer see it, but you know it's in there. So now when God looks at me and you, he doesn't see us, he sees who? Christ. Because we are the righteousness in Christ, sealed to the day of redemption. And you say, well, Pastor D, okay, that's all good, but what does that have to do with grace? It allows you to walk in what God has done for you. It doesn't allow you to walk in condemnation. It doesn't allow you to run from God like Adam did. You run to him when you make a mistake because you realize, God, it's not about my righteousness. It's not about what I can do for you. It's what you have already done for me. 
And in this deliverance, when we talk about grace, it brings salvation and then training. Salvation is deliverance. You are delivered from eternal separation and judgment of God. And in that, we now get to grow up knowing we belong to him. So I want to talk about his glory out of this verse, his grace and our good works. So his grace has come. We didn't deserve it. Some of us didn't even ask for it, but God in his sovereignty knew what we needed. Um, I wanted to, to get in shape, and when my husband was on the department, they all have, most of the police stations have gyms, and I asked my husband, can you just take me to the gym with you? You know, I just want to start lifting weights. He said, sure. So he takes me down. I heard somebody laughing out there. <laughs> so he takes me to the gym, and we go, like, really late, so, you know, all the offices aren't in there, but there were a few in there, so... He takes me and he puts me on this bench and he t- gives me the, the rod. And I said, well, well, where the weight? He said, no, just lift, lift that. I looked at him. I said, now, look, all these officers in here don't make me look bad. Put some weight on the bar. <laughs> but in his sovereignty, he knew she ain't going to be able to lift that weight, <laughs> that bar. So sure enough, I start to lift it and I realize, uh-oh, this is a little heavier than I thought. So pride was saying, just lift it till the blood come out your eyes because he can't be right. (laughs) There's other people in here you got to represent. And my body was saying, you on your own because we can't lift this. (laughs) Do you see the war that was going on in my members? But he knew in his intellect, she can't lift this weight. She can't lift the bar. So he gave me what I needed versus what I want. The grace of God does that because had he put the weight on the bar, I really would have been embarrassed. The stuff that really could have happened that I was afraid to look like would have happened. God knows in his grace where you are and what you need. And when we trust him, when we understand his grace and that we are the righteousness of Christ, now we get to walk in what he's already done for us, which means the footprints are already there. We don't have to figure it out, work it out, but just step in the footprints that God has ordained. When we look at his grace, we look at that word grace in Karis, the original word means goodwill, loving uh, kindness, favor, of a merciful kindness that is exerted by God of his holy influence upon our souls. Hmm, upon our souls, your mind, your will, and your emotion. Those are the things that will try to fight against the spirit. Why? Because you're growing in God's grace. We don't fall out of the spiritual room grown. We're infants in Christ. Desire the sincere milk of the word. But you don't stay at milk. You begin to grow up in Christ and begin to chew on that word. And the more and more you eat, the more you grow. I love our pastor. No matter what he's preaching, it boils down to read your Bible every day. Why? Because it's not just about the checklist that I read my Bible. It's what that word does to you and us when it gets in us. It conforms us. It shapes us. It transforms us. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So God's grace will come in and salvation and help us to walk in the deliverance of what we've already received. Some of us might be experiencing strongholds today, thinking, wait a minute, I'm already delivered. What's going on? It's a work in your soul that God is doing and his grace and his righteousness as you seek godliness will break the chains through Christ. 
So as we look at this grace that God gives us, it brings salvation. The only way to attain salvation is Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you believe in your heart that Jesus died for you and that he rose again, you will be saved. We confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. When we do that, grace shows up. She brings the salvation, brings the transformation. As we look at his glory, that word means doxa, it's weight, it's what God has done for us again, not what we can do for him. And as we look at its training, how many of you like to exercise? Oh, wow. I'm going to pray for y'all. Y'all come up to the altar (laughs) after service, and it will be prayer team who will pray your deliverance now. (laughs) I heard about cross training. I heard about it. (laughs) Haven't yet dabbled in it yet. But apparently cross training is when if you're an athlete, you do something else that works different parts of your muscles in your body so that your overall performance is well. So if you're a football player and you've, you've seen this, they'll take players and have them take a ballet class. Why? Because now they have to work muscles that they normally don't work. Well, here we have this letter to Titus from Paul. And Paul is telling Titus, one he calls Titus a son. And he was telling Titus, look, Titus, this church in Crete that we've started, they need some cross-training. Now, Crete was known for their lying their selfish evil doings, and um, their gluttony. How would you like that to be your reputation? And they started a church there. Now, of course, here we are, we have converts, but they have no way of knowing unless they're taught the nature of God. So Paul is telling Titus, I need you to go in there and teach them One, I need you to set up the the leadership, what the elders are supposed to be, what their character is supposed to look like. And then I need you to go in and set order with the people that are converts to let them know it's not just about taking God's name, it's about taking his nature. How do we take his nature? It's right there in, in 11. For the grace of God to appear to train us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. As we go to our workplaces, as we're in our neighborhoods, this mandate still is active. Go and teach people how to live right, how to take on the nature of God, to show his glory. So although we're all in the same thing, we show people how to walk and have the character and the nature of God, how God's grace has overtaken our life, his righteousness, right standing with God. And we know when we operate in ungodliness, that's not right standing with God. It grieves him. So here he's telling Titus, Titus, I need you to go in there and do some cross training. I need you to teach them how to renounce this ungodliness, the lying, the cheating, All the evil doings. They should not be named in the church. See, when we go plant churches, we're going into a culture, not just an area. And we have to deal with the culture that's worldly. And we get to come in and and, and create and correct. We need to tell them what is ungodliness. What does God say ungodliness is? And how do you renounce it? So as we look at the glory of God, I love this original word. It means the kingly majesty. 
which belongs to him as a supreme ruler, majesty in the sense of an absolute and perfect deity. That's relationship right there. God is calling each and every one of us to know him like that, that he is a supreme ruler. He's majestic in all his ways. He's deity. And when we get to that place, then we get to minister out of that place. Very difficult difficult to minister out of a place you've never been. So here, this glory is not just what we see evident when we walk into a church and see what God is doing. It's the fact that relationally we get to know him like this. We serve at the pleasure of the king. And as we serve, it's not about the outward, it's about the inward. Now, we all start out, as I said, infants. So our motivation doesn't start out correct to begin with. But as we grow, God begins to deal with why we do what we do, not just what we do. So he begins to pull us aside and say, okay, I see you ushering and greeting, preaching and singing and doing childcare, but why are you doing that? Is it to be seen? And we don't think so until we don't get to thank you. Everybody else got a thank you card. You the one that set it up, broke it down, and was here early, left late. That's when the real deal comes and something happens in your heart. You know, that murmuring and complaining and the volume starts to come up. How many know that was already there? God just allowed us in a circumstance so that it can come up, not for conviction or excuse me, condemnation, but conviction. Because we didn't know it was there until we were shaken in a situation that started to stir what was already in there. And when we walk in the righteousness of Christ, we don't make excuses for it. We repent. God, I see this. This isn't your nature. And I repent from this. And I want your nature. Let's do a divine exchange. Now, I wish most of my prayer times were like that. How many of you have ever felt yourself tugging and pulling with God? Like, who's going to win that one? Because we all have a reason in our mind why we did what we did and what we said what we said. That's why in Isaiah it says, come, let us reason together. God calls us to sit with him, to relate with him, to know him like this, the supreme ruler, the deity in perfection. When we do that, we get to display his glory. We're his glory on display. His glory also redeems to liberate, to to ransom. Now, what I love about this, especially in our society today, we live in a society that if it ain't working, just throw it away, start over again. One of my favorite shows is HGTV, Flip the House with um, Chip and Joanna Gaines. And I love how they take these old dilapidated buildings and homes and they renovate them, they restore them. And when they do, it's better than when they first were created because now we have all this technology and things that they didn't even have when they built the house. So now it's better than before. That's the heart of God. Do you know he could have just wiped us out in the beginning and said, you know what, I'm going to start all over. But he chose not to do that. He redeemed us, which means that was the perfect way. That's his nature. So our heart should be about redemption, not I'm going to get rid of you and start all over. I don't like this spouse. God called me to be happy. (laughs) Spouse is not making me happy. So I'm going to start all over again. If that boss says one more thing to me, 
Don't they know I got a PhD and a DisHD and a that? I will just make, a, I'll set, submit my resume today to somewhere else. Well, if that's not God's will, sit your hips down because God wants to do something in that moment. He's doing something in you, which is getting that pride up out of there. <laughs> because how I many you know we're not here for our purposes, we're here for his. It says his possession, his own possession. How would you like if you tried to go in your cabinet to use a glass and the glass hopped out the way? I don't feel like being used today. <laughs> oh, really? You're my glass. Now get over here and put this Kool-Aid in you. <laughs> but isn't that what we do? Sometimes we hop out of God's way. No, not today, God. I'm not going to pray for this boss today. I'm not going to be nice to this person. I love calling church the practice for this is the locker room. We're going over to X's and O's with you. This is the practice field. We get to practice love, patience, all these things with one another. Because when we get out there in the playing field, you don't have a lot of grace. Grace is here. Hallelujah. Because the moment you mess up out there, what's the first thing you hear? And I thought you were a Christian. So we get the privilege to practice God's grace here. I'm in a situation now where I said, Lord, our pastor had a devotion and was talking about loving beyond the hurt. And I said, Lord, the hurt is screaming louder than the love. He said, exactly. That's why you're in this. Because until the love can scream louder than the hurt, you're still on assignment. What is he doing? He's getting rid of me so that he can be in there. So I'm working with him and not against him to allow his glory to be evident. Scripture says, what is it when you can treat somebody nice to treat you nice? How about your enemy? The one that doesn't treat you well. What are you going to do? Are you going to remember about God's righteousness at Christ's expense and what Christ did for us and model that? Or are you going to tell him off? Are you going to give him a piece of your mind? Who's more important that moment? God's glory or our vindication? God's glory redeems, it purifies, goes down, like I said, to the intents of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's not impressed with our service or how we come here and do. He wants to know that it's coming from our heart. We're doing it because we love you, Lord. Not trying to work our good works to get anything. It's an outworking. It's the fruit and not the root. When we don't have a relationship with God, we think good works are going to get us somewhere. And although we appreciate those good works, that's the wrong motivation. Our good works should revolve out of the will of God and the fact that we believe he's called us to do it so that our motives are pure and it's to please God. Our good works, again, were his possession. We belong to him. Possession is one that owns, belongs, selected. God selected us. We're his possession. And when we understand that, then we don't try to make ways that aren't God. And when we do, we end up, we end up finding out they're dead ends. We need to make sure that we understand it's about God's purposes, and that's where our good works come from. You know, one day I woke up, it was the middle of the week, or excuse me, the beginning of the week. I said, Lord, I think I'll work on patience today. <laughs> that's what we'll work on this week. <laughs> said, how about you work on what I'm working on in you? 
So working on patience is a good thing, right? What was he telling me? It's not a God thing right now. That's not what I'm doing in you. Although patience is part of it, when you come into the realization of where God is working in you, then you can work with him and not against him. It speaks of intimacy and relationship that God, I recognize. This is cross training. As it says here in this scripture, we are supposed to leave self-controlled lives. When that chocolate cake calls me at 12 midnight, I'm not picking up the phone, not walking down to the kitchen. Am I the only one that the chocolate cake talks to? (laughs) It's my nemesis. (laughs) But self-controlled, what does it look like to be self-controlled in a place, in the culture where that's opposite? Where lying and evil doings and gluttony are the order of the day. And then here you come with your lunchbox in the lunchroom. And all of a sudden, you're speaking something that's foreign to those around you. That was Titus's assignment. Go and help them cross-train. These are converts who profess to know me, but their works aren't speaking of me. Their demonstration, as Pastor Don would say, is not equaling their declaration. If any man come after me, let him pick up his cross, deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Self-control is about denying our fleshly desires and saying, God, you have a better way. It's about telling our flesh, no, we're not going to eat that chocolate cake. You're going to stay in this bed and we're going to leave that cake alone. It's about the things that call us that we know aren't part of what God has for us. As we look at his good works towards us, as I said earlier, we could have never earned it can't work for it. But a lot of times we find ourselves in those situations. How? Well, I think part of it is our society. We set up that atmosphere. If you work well, you get your paycheck. If you don't do good work, you get fired. Kids, you know, we're potty training now in the house and you know, they go to the potty. Yay! So we do that so much when we don't do it, my grandson comes and looks at us and goes, yay! Hello! <laughs> Get with the program. (laughs) And it's okay to affirm, hear me right. But what is the motivation of the accolade? Did you do it to get the accolade or do you do it because it's the right thing to do? When we understand the grace of God, his righteousness at Christ's expense, we understand that we didn't have to pay this bill, but we sure are beneficiaries of the good of it. As we stand and know our zeal, I like when people are zealous. You know, when we come into church and the poor praise team, they look at us like, are you up? We need to come in zealous about God, zealous about doing his work. I get to usher. I get to serve. I get to sing. I get to do AV. I get to do the children's ministry. I heard my um, husband talking to my son one day. He called him in the room. And apparently my son had walked over a piece of paper that was on the floor. So my, my husband said, did you see that piece of paper? He was like, uh-huh. He said, well, why didn't you pick it up? He said, because I didn't put it there. So I began to hear my husband share with him about sonship. He said, son, it doesn't matter whether you put it there or not. You live here. This is your house. You have stewardship. Pick the paper up. 
And what my children began to learn is it is not about what you do, it's about who you are. And because you're a son in the house, it's your responsibility to pick that up, to steward over what God has entrusted you with. So when we come in and we hear the word, we're ready to, and zealous like, God, how does this apply to me? I'm going to be made better sitting in this chair today. And I'm going to walk out and I'm going to apply what you're teaching me, Lord, to be better out there, to be a better representation of who you are. I'm not going to rush out before everybody gets out so I don't have to sit in the traffic. Now, I know that's not you. That's why I'm saying this right now. Some of you have to get to work. We get it. But others... We just, we, we don't want to be inconvenienced. Well, how do you know God doesn't want to use you today? You might have the gift of encouragement and somebody needs to be encouraged. When we're zealous about the things of God, natural things begin to wane. And it's all about God. What are you doing in this moment? I want to join in with you. There's a zeal about who we are and what we do because we know who we belong to. God wants us to walk with him. And that still blows me away when I look at the universe. I was looking at the moon the other day thinking, God, you just set that up there with no problem. Yet he's concerned about the things that are concerning me. He's a deity, our deity, our father, supreme majesty, created all of what you see. And yet he loves us and wants to sit down and have a cup of tea with us. He's daddy. He's Abba Father. He wants us to come in to know him in intimacy, not intellect. When we only know him in intellect, what we do is just conditional. God, I'll come to church. I'll write my tithe check. I may even serve, but that's about it. But our heart isn't in it. And although God appreciates those works, they're not good works because they're not motivated from a place of relationship. And that's what God wants, a place of relationship. Everything should flow through relationship. So here Titus is teaching them, cross-training, that you're going to have to use other muscles, your love muscles. So when I work your nerve, you got to love me anyway. You get to practice love. Yay! (laughs) Get to practice patience, long-suffering, kindness. Those aren't suggestions. That's the fruit of the Spirit that is to come out of us. And anything coming out of us that's not that, guess what? That's not the righteousness of Christ. So we get the privilege to take on his nature. So as we think about grace and what God has done through grace, bringing the salvation to us, training us to renounce ungodliness, to teach people to be self-controlled, to teach people how to walk this life out, we get to humble ourselves. I um, used to work at the dispatch center at the police department, and this poor old lady Um, And man, they had been traveling on the beltway for about three hours lost. And so they called and um, she was telling him, I bet for about three hours that he should call for help. But he was determined that they knew he knew where he was going. So she kept saying, well, baby, I think I've seen this sign before. And he's like, that is not the same sign, Mildred. So as I'm talking, they're both talking. So I'm hearing all this conversation. So the man calls me and says, well, I really don't really need to help. And I'm thinking, what are you on my phone for? (laughs) So he begins to tell me what's happening. And I said, well, sir, yes, your your wife is correct, which I'm sure he just grabbed the steering wheel, praying she didn't hear that. I said, you're on what's called a beltway. And it's a circle around D.C. (laughs) 
So I hate to break this to you, but you've been traveling three hours around the Beltway. So I said, where are you going, sir? And where are you and where do you need to go? And I got him on, his, on the way. But I thought, Lord, how many hours do we waste in pride saying, God, I got this. I know where I'm going. God says, oh, yeah, well, where are we going? Since I didn't give you the destination. As we think about God's grace, it puts us in a place of safety. It directs us. It keeps us so that we can be zealous about good works. Good, it's, you know it's a good work to humble yourself, not to be prideful. Pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. The enemy wants us to be prideful and think we, we know it all so that he can redirect us. And now we're frustrated because we're, we're circling the beltway of life going nowhere. And refusing to ask for help. Today, let's be like Titus. Let's not only cross-train ourselves, but teach others how to cross-train. To renounce ungodliness. To be self-controlled. About good works. Not just about them. Zealous for them. You need help there? I'm there. That you don't have to come search for me. But I'm ready at a moment's notice to do what our Savior needs. As we think about grace, thank God for grace. Thank God for grace, for the salvation and the cross training, the instruction it brings to give us a life that's full of his goodness, that's full of his glory, so that our good works speak of his name. You may not have ever seen grace, didn't recognize grace, but grace is knocking at your door today. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, to be your Lord and Savior as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want you to consider answering the door today. Saying, Lord, I want you to come in and be my Lord and Savior. I've been traveling the beltway of life, frustrated, extending all this time and energy and going nowhere. That you raise your hand and we would love to lead you in a prayer to receive Christ as your Savior. That you raise your hand. I see that hand. You can put it down after you raise it. For those that raised their hand, repeat after me. Father, I ask forgiveness for my sins. I believe that you died and that you rose again for me. I receive you as Lord and as Savior. Thank you for grace. Thank you for training me how to look more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.